Well, last week we looked briefly at an overview of the book of Colossians. And this morning I really want to focus on verses 3 to 8. Last week you may remember that we saw that Paul is battling the false teaching that's cropped into the church in Colossae. This false teaching didn't reject Jesus outright, but it claimed to introduce to these Christians in Colossae something in addition to the faith that they had originally heard from Epaphras. These false teachers claimed to introduce these Christians into a deeper knowledge, a higher experience of God and of the spiritual life. And these Christians, if they believed in these false teachers, could have this higher life simply by keeping certain rules or rituals, believing in mystical kinds of things. Now, Paul wants to address this issue. And his antidote to the false teachers is to speak about the Lord Jesus and his sufficiency, who he is and what he has done. The message of the book of Colossians, which we're going to be looking at up until just before Christmas, the message of Colossians is that believers are complete in Christ and that faith in him rules out dependence on any resource outside the Lord Jesus. For in him we have our all in all. In Jesus, Paul is saying, we have everything. So we're going to look at verses 3 to 8 this morning. And what I want to do um, is really focus on three aspects, which I'll speak about in a moment. But just as a whole, what Paul is trying to do as he opens this letter, as he seeks to address this, this false teaching, is he's really addressing two things in this passage. Firstly, he wants to reassure these Christians perhaps have become discouraged. A small church in the Lycus Valley, uh, surrounded by powerful forces. And the Apostle wants to reassure them, these loyal believers, that they have in fact heard the gospel. They haven't just heard part of the gospel that they need some extra knowledge for. They've heard the whole gospel. And so Paul He wants to encourage them. He also um, wants to confirm what they already knew. So that secondly, what Paul is doing here is he's confirming the message that Epaphras had brought. Epaphras was this servant um, who had become a Christian through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, 150 kilometres away, and he brought back the gospel to his hometown of Colossae. But now these false teachers are saying, well, you know, Epaphras is okay. Like what what he's teaching is fine. But what we have is what you need, an extra bit of teaching. The things that Epaphras didn't tell you about, we can tell you about. You need this add-on, this bolt-on, this extra level that we know about. And so Paul wants to make clear to those in Colossi, perhaps those are confused, perhaps those who are discouraged. He wants to encourage them and he wants to confirm Epaphras' ministry so that they might have confidence in the gospel that they first 
heard. He hasn't given them just a part of the gospel. Epaphras has given them the whole gospel. And so Paul wants to commend what he has done. So this morning we're going to look at the three aspects there, really in verses 3 to 8. Paul is full of thanksgiving there in verse 3, prayerful thanksgiving for the Colossians. So we'll have a look at that first. Secondly, we'll look at faith, hope and love in the Christian life. And thirdly, we'll look briefly at Paul's own testimony of Epaphras' ministry and the ministry that's occurred within the Colossian, Colossian church. So firstly, Paul's thanksgiving in prayer. If you have a look there in verse 3, Paul says, We give thanks to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Paul starts this letter with this word of thanksgiving. And he thanks God for the Colossians and specifically for what God is doing in the Colossians. And so Paul starts with this real sense and tone of generosity. Now Paul could have started in a different way. Paul could have started with words of criticism. He could have started addressing the Colossians like this. Why, Colossians, have you given up on this message that you first heard? Why have you let these false teachers in your midst? He could have started like that. He could have legitimately brought um, open with scathing and true critique. But that's not how Paul starts. That's not how Paul starts here to the Colossians. He starts with words of thanksgiving. And Paul wants to stress the sincere thanksgiving that he has to God for what God is doing amongst them. I want to thank God for you. These are his first words. I want to thank God for you. Believers perhaps discouraged. Believers perhaps confused. And Paul says to them, I want to thank God for you. And I want to ask us this morning, is that how we think? Is that our first impulse? Is that our attitude? Is that our outlook? I thank God for you. Are we always looking to give thanks to God for what he's doing in our midst? For what, in fact, he's doing in our own lives? For what he's doing in the lives of our family and friends? Are we looking to give thanks for what God is doing amongst his church, the members of this church, thanking God in our hearts for what he's doing? Do we have an outlook of thanksgiving and generosity? Or are we looking to be discouraged? Sometimes we can be like that. And we can be in that kind of rut where we seek to be discouraged. And guess what? If you seek to be discouraged, you find it. You find discouragement. But that's not, what, that's not how Paul addresses the Colossians. There are always things to discourage us. Yet Paul has this deep and sincere spirit of thanksgiving. And if any person could have been a little discouraged and downcast, it's Paul. You might remember that Paul is not writing this letter from the poolside at a club or resort. He's writing it from in prison. 
And he's writing it where he's been attacked both from inside the church and outside the church. Some of the churches that he has started are starting to disintegrate. And yet Paul thanks God constantly. And that thanksgiving becomes a blessing to him. Because that's the way in which thanksgiving works. When you thank God for what he's doing, the blessing comes back to you. There's a saying that the Puritans used to have, and that is, a thankful heart is a continual feast. Thanksgiving and looking for thanksgiving is a blessing directed back to us. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, is that our attitude? Is that our outlook? Are we looking to our brothers and sisters and lifting them up in thanksgiving to God for them? Now, Paul says, really interestingly, he thanks God for the faith of the Colossians. He sees the faith of the Colossians and he thanks God for their faith. And this is not a, a form of, you know, kind of positive psychology. It's, it's not... Um, Paul seeking to congratulate the Colossians here. Now what he's reminding them of is that God is at work in them and that the faith that they have is a gift from God. That faith itself is what God creates. God is the author of faith. We believe and we believe in Christ but it is God who works faith in us to make us able to believe in Christ. Faith is not something that comes natural for us. It's not the instinct of the human heart. Faith, heart, faith is the gift of God. And it is worked in us by a work of the Holy Spirit. And by thanking God for the Colossians, Paul is in fact starting to undercut these false teachers and the way in which they have crept into the church of Colossae. You see, these false teachers are saying to the Colossians, what you have is good, but what you need is more. So how does Paul reply? He thanks God for what is at work within the, within the, amongst the Christians in Colossae. He thanks God that they have real faith. He thanks God that they have a full experience of God in his gospel. He thanks God for the evidences and the signs that God is at work in them. And he thanks God that they don't need to look for new ways to draw near to him. They have everything. They have the complete message in the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his thanksgiving even starts to undercut uh, the false teaching. You see, thanksgiving is not simply um, a polite way or mannered way of response to life. Thanksgiving is powerful. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we imitate Paul's thankful spirit? Are we spiritually minded in our thanksgiving? Are we continually thanking God for what he's doing amongst us? Are we looking for what he's doing amongst us? Secondly, Paul wants to speak of faith, 
hope and love in the Christian experience. He does that in verses 4 and 5. Faith, hope and love are, are three spiritual realities that Paul speaks about in other places, like in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Thessalonians. But it's important to say at the start, as Paul speaks about faith, hope and love here in verses 4 and 5, it's important that we're, we're reminded that he's not speaking here of the kind of natural characteristics or personality traits. He's not speaking of you know, hope as a form of optimism about life. Paul is talking about qualities which are worked in the believer's life, spiritual qualities, qualities of faith, hope and love are evidence that God is at work in a person's life. And so when you see these things in a person, you're seeing God work in a person. And so he says there in verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Paul's saying we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of the way in which you've been relying on the Lord Jesus, the way in which you trust in him, the way in which you've committed your whole self to him. And Paul wants us to see that their faith here, well, their faith is not just faith as a concept, as an idea, it's faith in a person. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith has an object here. And each of these qualities of faith, hope and love have an object. The object of faith here is Christ. The object of love is the brothers and the sisters. And for hope, the object is heaven or the future glory. And so back there in verse 4, Paul focuses on the love that they have for all the saints. It's a faith in the Lord Jesus, in the person of the Lord Jesus. They've staked their whole lives upon him. And that's expressed itself in their love for their fellow Christians, for the saints. Again, this is not simply a human affection that Paul is speaking of here. Paul is speaking of a Christian love, a gospel-shaped love, which has this self-denying quality to it that recognises that the person who is being loved has interests that can be placed above our own interests and priorities. And Christian love may have a sense of affection and emotion with it, but we can love when we don't feel like it. It's possible, however, to have great affection and never engage in love because love not only works, feels and thinks, but love acts. And so the Apostle Paul thanks God for the love that they have for all the saints Notice again here that the love that these Christians have is, well, the emphasis here in Paul's mind is the love that they have for the Christian community. 
It's for those Christians that they're together in church with. It's not simply a love for their own family, their own spouse or their own children. This is a love for those that they're in fellowship with within their community, within their Christian community. It's a love for the saints. But it's not just a love for the saints, it's a love for all the saints. It's a love that sees no saint excluded. There's no intellectual or spiritual or social elitism here that would separate one believer from another. It's a love for all the saints. Thirdly, Paul points to hope. Notice again here that he says it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5. Paul's saying that this hope is the cause of faith and love. Now, often we think about it in the other way. We, we often think that faith causes hope, and it does. And in other places, we see that in the scriptures. But Paul's actually spinning it the other way around here. The hope that you have actually enables you to believe enables you to love. Hope is the cause of faith and love here in chapter 1 of Colossians. Hope is that confident assurance and expectancy of the blessings in store for the believer in the world to come. Hope expects what faith believes. Hope expects what faith believes and enables us to believe it in some sense even when we can't see it. Hope expects the realities that God sets forth, what he has said, what he has promised. Hope knows that these will come true. It's been said that the future belongs to those who belong to God. And so that is our hope. And as we know our hope, the certainty of our future In the Lord Jesus, this enables our faith and our love to grow. How does that work? Well, let me work an example for you. How do you love in an unjust world? How can you love when people have been unloving to you? How can you love when you're caught in past tragedies that haunt you, where justice hasn't been done, where justice hasn't been experienced, where it's not fair? How do you love... When it's like that, you love like that because you have hope. You have hope that God will set everything right. And so we can set aside our need to have every justice satisfied. And we can love even when we haven't been loved. That's how love, that's how hope, that's an example of how hope brings on love. And finally, Paul speaks about his own testimony, his testimony for how God has been at work in these Colossians. He says there, uh, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel. He's saying to these believers that, You have got the truth. 
you haven't got part of the truth. Somebody can't just simply come up to you and say, well, look, you know, I've got a little bit to add to what you're missing. No, Paul says here, you have heard the word of truth, the gospel. Epaphras has preached it to you. Don't be tricked by these false teachers. You have heard the word of truth. This word of truth came to you, and this is the same word in verse 6 that has come to the whole world or that whole area in which the gospel is growing in. The Apostle Paul is saying that this, this gospel that you believe, this plain and simple gospel of faith in Jesus, of hope for the future, of love for the brothers, this gospel is, well, it's growing and it's growing not just in you, but it's growing all around the area in which I've been preaching. The Apostle Paul is saying the gospel is not some secret code for the initiated. There's not some kind of mystery or special kind of knowledge to the gospel. No, it's the gospel that Epaphras brought. It's the gospel that's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. And if you want proof of this, he's saying to the Colossians, your exhibit A, your faith, your hope, and your love, this gospel, this word of truth is working. It's working in you. And they might not be able to see it. And often we can't see it. And so Paul wants to remind those Colossians and he wants to remind us that this word of the gospel that we have heard, this love that we have for the saints, our hope for the future, the reality that God will do what he has promised, this is the gospel at work in us. This is us. This is God at work in us as we show our love for one another. As we trust in this gospel, this is the love of the Spirit there in verse 8. And so, as I close, let me ask you this. Do you believe in Paul's testimony? Do you believe in the word of truth, the word of truth that came to the Colossians, and that same word of truth that is at work in us as a church? Do you believe the testimony that the gospel that Paul has given, the gospel that we read in the New Testament, is sufficient, is entirely sufficient for every spiritual problem, spiritual question that we might have? Do you believe that the Christian life is characterised by faith, hope and love? Not optimism and niceness, but faith, hope and love. And do you believe that he is growing this faith, hope and love in your life, in the life of our church? And do you have a heart of thanksgiving? Are you a genuinely thankful person, not denying reality around you, but a person who, despite the difficulties, can honestly thank God for what he's doing in our midst? May we be that kind of people, a people of faith, hope and love. Amen. We're going to respond in prayer.